an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Today on the podcast, I have Deepa, the host of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I brought Deepa on to talk to us about sleep, to give us the ins and outs of why people might not be falling asleep or being able to stay asleep. Throughout the episode, Deepa talks about why she studied sleep so deeply and why she's an expert on adrenal function. I loved this episode. My mind was blown in so many ways listening to her explain how stress can change your sleep. Deepa shares her dark night and why she's so passionate about what she does. Deepa has been studying wellness for over 20 years. She's been a yoga therapist for over two decades, and for five years, she's been a functional nutritionist. Deepa helps connect the dots about stress, nutrition, and how we can best support our sleep patterns. If you like to geek out on how to optimize the body, you're not going to want to miss this episode. So without further ado, here is Deepa. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ophelia Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this podcast, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll get to witness healings as well as hear from my mentors, teachers, and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for the last 14 years. My connection with energy is so strong and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. in India right now. And we are conducting this podcast on my Thursday night, her Friday morning. On her podcast, I was talking about EFT. But today I've asked Deepa to show up to talk to us about sleep. So I've done two podcasts about hacking sleep. But let me just tell you, Deepa can go real deep with this stuff. (laughs) So I have some questions and some information that I really am curious about because I know there's a huge connection between the ability to release and let go, but I don't really understand like the chemistry or like what are the physiological reasons for, you know, why we are able to get better sleep if we can relax really quickly. Or also I was looking at your website and stuff and learning about bio-individual sleep nutrition. (laughs) I was like, wow, (laughs) that's even taking it to another level. So as someone who knows how the importance of sleep and you know has hacked my sleep so much, thankfully I haven't had to hack it more than it currently is because it's so good. I know other people are struggling with sleep. So if you have anything that you can offer for our listeners, that would be awesome. So tell us your story. So how did you get involved in sleep? Oh, by the way, she has the Sleep Whisperer podcast. So if you can't get enough of her today, then you definitely can check out her podcast because she's got lots of great information on her podcast. Uh, So how did I get to look at sleep? Amy is a very long story. So do you want the short version or the long version? Uh, Let's hear the long version. We've got all day. (laughs) Yeah. And night. So I had an abusive marriage for about eight years a while ago. So this was 15 years back. And through that period, my I never had sleep issues. I would, in fact, before I got married the first time, my 
colleagues where I worked would joke because my office was just five minutes from home and I would wake up at 9.30 in the morning and be there by 10 o'clock and they would ask me, so what would you do once you're married? I said, I'll do the same thing. I would sleep immensely. Through this phase, it was an eight-year-long episode where kept getting worse because I was married to an alcoholic and it got worse every few days. In fact, sleep just started going for a toss because, of course, I never understood back then about adrenals. I didn't, I didn't even know I had something called an adrenal gland, but I think fear programs it very differently and we can talk about that later because I focused a lot of work on that. So fear actually impacts sleep tremendously because feeling safe is integral to both falling asleep, feeling safe in sleep because sleep is a process of trust. So if you want to be able to stay in sleep, you need to be Trusting the space around you, trusting yourself, trusting that you're safe when you go into this space of sleep. So when you don't feel safe, you can have severely impacted sleep. So I went through these phases where I would be always on the edge. So I would wake up at uh, suddenly in one moment, if I heard a door open, I would be in a state of emergency, expecting the worst. What that did was after eight years of living in such a situation, when I came out of it, of course, I met a wonderful man and got married to him. Even when I was married to him in the early years, he would, I recall one night where I went to sleep before he did. And usually we never did that because he he would always be near me. And then he came a few hours later into the room and he opened his cupboard door. And I woke up in bed sweating and palpitations and didn't know where I was. I was completely disoriented. So Mm -hmm. he figured that what was wrong. He sat down, hugged me and Eventually, it was okay. But then I realized because the brain has these memories of trauma and there are certain cues that trigger that same cascade of both physiological, the hormone cascade, as well as the emotional cascade. So that's what had happened. So I woke up really scared. And so once you've been in a situation of trauma, and we can talk about that later, because many people have adverse childhood experiences, which are trauma as well. Trauma programs the adrenal glands in a way that you are always in this state of fear. Of course, my sleep started settling a little bit, but then in very soon I had my baby. And that's what really taught me what brought me here today was because My child was born with a very rare condition and we didn't know he he would have died within few hours. He was three weeks old and for 24 hours he kept vomiting profusely and then in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. I knew something was wrong because he had stopped feeding, he had stopped urinating, he wasn't sleeping and he had turned black and shriveled up before my eyes. Oh, so when we rushed into the emergency room and 
they just took him away to the NICU and then about 10 hours later they came and told us that your baby has an adrenal disorder. So basically he was born with a condition called congenital adrenal hyperplasia where they don't produce cortisol and aldosterone. Now cortisol, we speak so much in biohacking and the functional world, but we speak about excess cortisol. In this case, the body didn't produce cortisol at all. So just uh, remind so us, are, uh, yes. it stresses the cortisol. Yes. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Stress hormone. Yeah. Although, the, although cortisol controls so much more, so there, there's physiological interactions practically with every system. So cortisol is a critical hormone. During this time, He's now 11 years old. He's come a long way. But in the first year, it would be races to the emergency room every single night where he just would have seizures. And that taught me, like, what is the adrenal gland? What does it do? So started going a little deep into that. And then right till he was four or five, there would be these hospitalizations. So when we started digging deeper about how can we prevent this kind of episode from happening where he almost dies every time he needs an IV and very high steroids. And oh, by the way, he's a steroid dependent child as well. So he requires cortisol from outside. That's the time I started exploring nutrition. So I went back, studied nutrition and then discovered this world of functional nutrition, which is so amazing. And that was a four-year-long journey. And then everyone in the functional world would speak about the core basics that before whatever the specialization, whatever you do, if you're not sleeping, pooping and having blood sugar balance, you can't go to anything else. So then I said, but sleep is not that simple because everyone was giving the same sleep hygiene and eat certain foods but there is a lot more bio-individual aspects to sleep because just as we see in the functional world that two people with say thyroid disease both of them might have 10 different root causes of why their thyroid is misbehaving I believe that sleep is also like that so two people with poor sleep have different set of root causes of why they're not able to sleep. And there's a specific permutation and combination that happens in each individual. So I developed a way in which you can get into looking at some of these root causes and actually understanding because it's going to play out differently in every two people and both for falling asleep as well as staying asleep. Right. So you call that sleep Uh, maintenance. Sleep Sleep maintenance and sleep onset, yes. Yeah, yeah. First of all, what stabilized him? You know, when you would go to the emergency room, what were they giving him so that his Um, adrenals were... Yeah, so usually these kids have a pathological condition. So when they have adrenal disorder... So you and me, Amy, when we go through a sudden emergency, let's say uh, somebody crosses in front of our car when we are driving, we slam the brake. That momentary second, you and I pump up 10 times the normal cortisol to help us cope with that. Now, these kids, they don't even produce the basic cortisol. So when they're not able to get that 
pump up of that shock situation they can actually die of the shock itself oh wow um, so it's so like a buffer require, yeah so they require in those situations to be in the iv and actually get a stress dose which can be something like 100 times a normal dose so they need to be under the iv so quickly and get iv hydrocortisone in order to even get through that so kids in these kind of situations if they are in a car accident even if they have no injuries they can die in that split second because the brain doesn't know how to deal with the shock it it's not from the injuries but from the inability to cortisol is if you see it's a hormone which is should not be vilified so it's actually the one which gets you through these kind of situations when you are in shock it's cortisol that comes to the rescue the wow. problem happens when cortisol is being pumped up every moment and where our brain thinks everything is an emergency that becomes the problem right 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 which is what i help people with thinking that all things are an emergency just because of trauma so how is that even possible like what chemicals are running through that are going to kill somebody who is going through that how how so does that when happen you're in that when you're in that situation it, the first thing that happens or rather should happen is this very high output of cortisol and that actually starts to if you don't get that high boost of cortisol at that moment amy what will happen is that you'll go into something called an adrenal crisis where physiologically what happens is that your blood sugar crashes so okay. we've actually tested him at situations of uh, adrenal crisis where blood sugar can go to 30 35 i mean that's just alarming so with yeah. that blood pressure can drop completely so you're almost in there's no blood pressure so there's no blood moving anywhere okay. in the body so you can actually just die because there's nothing happening in the body so right. blood okay. pressure and blood sugar are both regulated by cortisol so in those kind of situations you're just slipping into uh, dangerously low levels of both and what will happen is that because the adrenal gland also produces aldosterone which regulates sodium potassium levels sodium can actually drop low and potassium can spike instead mm-hmm. of the other way around so you can go into severe state of dehydration where of course we know people have died from dehydration right okay thank you for explaining that i just it's alarming and so complicated but yet yeah, um thank you for explaining that I can't believe you have to deal with that as a mom. It's so hard to yeah. deal with just regular childhood stuff. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and honestly, that's how we all get into these things, right? We have a real deep need to solve the problem. Sounds like, you know, you were, that was your path and you, you have a lot of knowledge now about that. So now your son is, he, he's 11. Does he normally have something that you give him so that it can kind of maintain it? Have they been able to give him something? Or no, do you do so this through food? No, so he is still a steroid dependent child. He he needs one steroid to replace cortisol and one steroid to actually replace the aldosterone which allows his body to hold salt rather than throw out. So if they didn't take that, they would just dehydrate and die. The last five years without hospitalization 
simply because we've done a lot of work on his gut prevented situations like vomiting and diarrhea because in a, a child with an adrenal disorder the thing that scares a parent the most is the moment they start vomiting or having diarrhea because they're losing large amounts of salts and mm. you can't keep up with that replacement at home you will need that to be done under the iv working on his whole body in terms of seeing that we've definitely reduced a lot of the inflammatory foods i've had questionable arguments about gluten with the doctors who probably don't agree with me that gluten needs to be removed but i've done it anyway so just keeping him in a state where the body is not getting into situations of crisis trying to minimize what happens where he could slip into those kind of crises so you can do a lot of that just by seeing that the diet is cleaned up and he's getting his nutrients he's not deficient and of course a steroid dependent child also has issues with bone density so seeing that he's never deficient in vitamin d so you can do a lot as a parent but i think other parents in india with who have children with adrenal disorders are yet to do this kind of thing so they do get into states of confusion where sometimes they've sent me messages because we also run a support group in india for children with growth conditions we've received messages that where i've clearly been able to make out that it's not induced by the condition but it's induced by them feeding their child a whole load of pizzas or uh, noodles ice cream cake and then you've lost you you actually don't know what has i mean it's not the condition that's triggered those kind of situation it's simply that you have precipitated it like any child who's eaten that way would get sick so i think right. it's important to identify that differentiation right because those foods are usually inflammatory and that's right. what you're talking about yeah What is the relationship between oxytocin and the adrenals, right? Can we go into the long version of this again? Sure, I want to know cuz <laughs> first of all, let's talk a, let's talk about why I'm asking this because oxytocin is like the feel-good bonding hormone which yeah. uh, I mean, I think is super healing. Cortisol, which you know, in my mind cortisol usually is something that I I stay away from, but now hearing about your son and I've heard before we've talked about this about him having this adrenal deficiency or would you even say is it a, a what is that would you call it a, adrenal deficiency? No, they don't uh, produce it at right, all. So you can't so, really say it's a yeah. deficiency. It's just not there. That's why I thought it might not be right. So anyway, so uh, you know, cortisol usually we think of as like, you know, the bad guy because it's what puts weight on women and, you know, stresses us out and all that. But so I want to know what the relationship is with oxytocin and cortisol. Yeah. With cortisol, it's the Goldilocks amount, right? So it's really that we all need cortisol. As I said, it's actually responsible for keeping. It is connected to blood sugar. It is connected to blood pressure. inflammation of course but it's all about the quantity we want it in a situation of sudden emergency we just don't want it to be a perpetual state of emergency right. so that's the difference now when it comes to cortisol and oxytocin i actually uncovered a beautiful 
connect over there because uh, first let me explain trauma and adverse childhood experiences in terms of what happens with cortisol because then you really understand the cortisol oxytocin connection if you've had any situation of an adverse childhood experience it programs the hpa axis in a specific way now i i do i need to explain what the hpa axis yes, is or, yeah for sure <laughs> uh, so the uh, so the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis is a feedback or a communication loop so there's the hypothalamus and the pituitary in the brain now the hypothalamus releases something called crh so that's a corticotropin releasing hormone which then tells the pituitary to release acth which is the adrenal it is telling the adrenal gland what to do next so acth then communicates with the adrenal gland to then release cortisol so there is this feedback loop between the three now if you had a childhood of any trauma or like me much later if you've had a long period of trauma where you've not felt safe then this axis gets programmed in a way where it's telling the body that it's always a state of emergency you're never ever safe so it's telling that keep on releasing this you need to be in a state of always ready to fight mm. so cortisol release is perpetual and therefore you start to see what is called adrenal fatigue where initially you'll find that the person has excess cortisol so you'll feel you never need to sleep and that happened to me a lot so i would feel that i don't need sleep i can keep going so basically what happens is that the outer shell of the adrenal gland produces this cortisol but the inner medulla is what produces adrenaline which is what we relate to that feeling of buzzing and wired and ready to go we don't want to sleep so if you can get into that state initially after you've been pumping out cortisol all the time but then eventually what happens if you and i are overworking ourselves for many many years then eventually our body will give up so the same thing happens with the adrenal gland where after a point cortisol output starts to go down and where even when you f- sleep a lot you don't really recover yourself Mm. so it goes into these situations where it takes a long time to recover and again stabilize the adrenal and the adrenals are deeply linked to every other hormonal system which is why it's critical to look at the adrenal health when you're looking at thyroid health or hormone health or even mood anxiety depression mental illness so many connects over there so when you program the hpa axis in this way due to trauma you have this elevated cortisol now oxytocin is an of course the bonding hormone the neuropeptide that's released it was discovered that it could also be released usually mother to child so when you hold your newborn this flood of oxytocin triggers other things lactation feeling of bonding with your baby oxytocin and cortisol have this very interesting antagonistic relationship so what that means is it was some research found that oxytocin release actually started to lower cortisol 
uh, in the body. So if somebody, even if they were in a state of emergency and high cortisol elevation, like I was after I, uh, my first marriage, what actually helped me was that I got married to somebody who allowed me to release a lot of oxytocin. There were lots of hugs. There was lots of feelings of safety. So what oxytocin does is that the moment it's released under these kind of situations where you're hugged, you bond with someone, then it starts to dip cortisol. So the same goes otherwise, right? If you are in a space where we talk about community and tribe and feeling a part of some circle of trust, right? So Mm -hmm. when I was in a marriage for eight years, he actually disconnected me from my family as well as from my friends. And it was literally like form of hostage. I had no way that I was having any oxytocin release because there was nobody to make me feel safe, loved, bonding with somebody. So obviously that dip in oxytocin can also elevate cortisol and make you feel even less safe than you already are. So I think they have this very beautiful intersection a seesaw so one goes up the other goes down the one Mm. goes up the other goes down so it's a very interesting way that it can be used to address uh, unnatural HPA programming because if you can just get somebody to look at their relationships or their community and what are those quality nurturing ones can they work on those a little bit more where they build that feeling of safety it can actually physiologically lower cortisol and reprogram the HPA axis in a way that it's telling your body it's a normal situation. You just need to behave normally and if there is a state of actual emergency, then you can get back into this state. But for now, you don't need to be in this state. Right. I love that. So, you know, a bunch of things are going through my mind right now. So one is like, that the first chakra is all about safety and yeah. And so that's what they talk about. Like if your first chakra is threatened, then, you know, you're going to have these, you know, issue, immune issues, blood issues, that kind of stuff. And then if you can have a, you know, a sense of belonging and safety, then you're going to be healing your body a lot more. So that would be the oxytocin going up. And, you know, that's why I love tapping because it brings down the sympathetic response so that you're calm and and rest and digest and heal. And, you know, one of the things that I just want to mention to the listeners is that you can always place your hands over your heart and keep them there. And that helps to release oxytocin. So if you're ever in a situation where you're not being able to connect with others, like right now, you know, with COVID going on, this is a great thing to do for yourself. So, and also you can take oxytocin, right? Isn't there like tincture or something that you can take? I have heard of it, but I've never ever used it. So I can't say that I would be the expert to talk about that. But I do feel that now it was interesting you mentioned in COVID, we don't have access to meeting somebody. But Amy, I honestly think that oxytocin release is more than the physical touch. So it could even be that you're meeting, let's say you and I are now meeting on a Zoom call, but if I see your face and I feel genuine love for you, I'm still going to have that cascade of hormones. I'm still going to feel 
Amy made me feel so good. So I feel lovely after talking to her. So I think physical touch is one, but just building that community, whether you're meeting physically or not, can still do that world of difference because I truly believe had I had Zoom calls when I was <laughs> married before with people that I trusted and I loved that I could have felt a f- a far more safe than I actually felt. Well, it's interesting. The brain doesn't know the difference between what's happening right in front of you or what you're rehearsing. So that makes sense that the brain would, you know, if you feel safe with me or I feel safe with you and we feel bonded, that w- we would release those chemicals. And and what's cool is there's so much time and distance between us, right? But it's like as yes. if there isn't, and that's part of the quantum field too as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, you in ha- fact, when you spoke about chakras, actually, I, I didn't speak about chakras because obviously I love to talk about them. I've been uh, in yoga for 20 years. So one of the things that I do is beyond sleep expertise, I believe my uh, specialty is this intersection between the science and ancient wisdom. Mm, I know. Uh, so uh, it's very interesting to see that connect between what is called chakras and actually endocrine pathways. So of course the adrenals have to do with the root chakra and feeling of safety. Amy, the other aspect is that not feeling financially safe can also program the HPA axis Mm -hmm. in a similar way. So I was the same back then where obviously living with somebody who was an alcoholic and not contributing financially and I wasn't earning as well as I do now. So obviously there was that feeling of okay, who's going to pay my bills next month? Mm -hmm. And that can, and a lot of people are going through that, especially now because there's definite uncertainty with work and the crisis. So I think financial safety is critical to adrenal programming as well. So it's important to look at what can you do to strengthen that? Because that does play a very key role in how you're going to have the adrenal response going forward. Right. Okay. I really want you to tell me how to reprogram that. For myself, I would like to reprogram if I can. But also, I just wanted to mention that there is a lot of research about how child, adverse childhood events can lead to mental illness, chronic illness, and addiction. And, you know, when you were in your situation with an alcoholic, like there's inconsistencies in their behavior. And so that makes us hypervigilant, right? Causes our safety to feel like it's been threatened. It's amazing how the mind and body are so connected and then the chakras and then you said the endocrine system is related to all that. And it really truly is. And once you start to really put all that together, you can really get a good comprehensive understanding of the body and then how to help it. So please tell us, how do we help our HPA access that got screwed up from when we were in child? It's a great way to use the body to get to this mind and the feeling of lack of safety. So one of the things that's really important, of course, is critical to adrenal function is blood sugar balance. I see blood sugar fluctuating. So it's very important to see that if you're in that state where people struggling at the moment with adrenal issues because they're in states of very high stress, 
and then they add a dietary stress that suddenly at that situation they go into eating one meal a day now at that time the body is pretty much incapable of managing that kind of a stress so i did find that those who have adrenal challenges do a lot better at that time until they heal themselves a lot to be eating more regular meals and just keeping blood sugar very very stable because of the connect between insulin and cortisol since they suddenly start to feel better so i think it's very important not to put yourself under dietary stress of any kind at that situation situation Stress. not to say that fasting is bad it's brilliant i do a lot of it today but it's not had i done that when i was in that situation i would have probably had a mental breakdown i was mm, very too much stress that. so that's important so blood sugar balance of course trying to restore your sleep but then here's the caveat is that we tell people with adrenal issues sleep better but actually it's very hard to fall asleep if you have adrenal dysfunction so you really need to work on the adrenals themselves one of the things that's really very very helpful is to look at whether you have liver challenges and gallstones so you asked me about stories of transformation any that multiple times i found that if somebody was struggling with adrenal issues and cortisol elevation and i put them through a liver detoxification and they were they evacuated a lot of gallstones it started settling down because if the liver is congested it's not able to detoxify metabolites of estrogen cortisol and catecholamine so if you're in adrenal stress and you're pumping out epinephrine norepinephrine which is what we say adrenaline and your body can't evacuate those byproducts then you're just staying in that very high state of adrenaline so just getting the liver moving along does a world of difference because it allows you to release whatever cortisol and uh, adrenaline build up there is and then it helps you to manage whatever is being pumped out after that so usually even today if i go through a state of high stress any and it could be something very small just an interaction with a client it's very quick for me to get back into that hpa programming where i take 10 days to get back into a state of balance so hmm. it is a challenge i think once it's programmed that way you can recover but the trigger still tip you over into a longer phase of coming back to balance than somebody else and what i found that in those situation the this paying for your buck for your buck yeah is supporting the liver so i found just like wrapping castor oil and sitting for 4 hours that wrapped around your liver can actually quick clearly tip you over from that sympathetic dominance into parasympathetic Ooh, mode cool. so i found that that is and usually people put that and then maybe apply some heat but what i've really noticed is that just put it on and forget about it do go around do whatever oh, okay. else you have to do so you so just pour the is, castor oil on like a cloth and then you put it on yeah, your body yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just wrap an old towel and do whatever else you are doing. And the other thing is just getting your bowels cleared out. So yeah. if you can just do a colonic or a simple salt water enema at home. I call it accumulation of all kinds of waste. So if your bowels are clogged up, then you're going to feel the same way emotionally in terms of your hormones. So just getting that evacuated in some way. And usually it could be, as I said, colonic. But if somebody is not comfortable, then just adding a fiber-rich drink for one day and just drinking a lot of hot water and just getting things moving out. Mm. One of the things that people have recommended in the past, and I'm not sure how safe it is, is the saltwater flush, you know, where you drink a whole bunch of salt water and your body can't hold it. So, you know, it pushes everything out. Man, you are in the bathroom for a while. Uh, You're just basically like, for the next four hours, I'm going to be here. (laughs) Okay. So the thing with that, Amy, it's a very beautiful thing you brought up because that's actually part of yogic tradition where there's forms of kriyas or cleansing practices and they're called uh, Shankar Prakshalana, where you drink lots of salt water and it starts that purge. But what that also does, and the reason I don't use that in a situation of adrenal crisis, I'll just tell you that in yoga itself, it was said that when you do that, because it causes this sudden strengthening to the apana. Now, the apana is an energy or the downward flow of energy below the navel, which is responsible for things like menstruation, excretion, birthing a child. It's a strong energy force below the navel, which gets stronger at premenstrual situations, or you strengthen it by doing this salt water drinking. So it suddenly forces this energy to get very bold. Hmm. And what that does is because there's this sudden evacuation of so much And the root chakra actually gets so strongly released that it triggers this immense purging of emotions. Hmm. So somebody will actually find that they, over the next day or two after doing that, they get very, very angry or they get very, very weepy. Weepy is still fine because tears allow a lot of inflammation cytokines to be released via the tears and lowers cortisol but there have been situations where people have even after you've told them this could happen they've gone into a situation where very very bad arguments with the family created a lot of chaos and rift so I find that that's a bit powerful for people who are struggling with unstable adrenals whereas Mm -hmm. The enema does not do that. It's not using the force from top to bottom to evacuate. It's just going only into the lower section and getting things out. So there is a difference in terms of emotional release. Wow. I've totally seen how when I do a detox, emotions will be released. I I swear by that. I don't remember experiencing the anger or anything like that that you had mentioned when I was doing it, but... I was in a pretty great stage in my life when I was doing them and I was doing a lot of cleansing. So, and a lot of uh, emotional healing at the time. So I I don't know. I'd be curious if I did it, you know, how I'd feel now. 
they probably also don't have the nurturing space where they can actually give in to this kind of emotional clearing and so then that just becomes more challenging on them overall yeah i i was actually referring to it recently as stress is like a bucket you know or inflammation is a bucket in your body i mean we talk about histamine being a bucket and you know your body can only take so much of that stuff and then it's the last thing that you put in that goes yeah yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. yeah yeah wow so that was all good information one more question about that though so the salt content is that dangerous at all you know for us to ingest that uh, you know that no, i don't think the content is dangerous usually in a yogi cleanse it's a you just add enough to taste as salty as your tears and you drink about two oh, okay. liters of salt water but of course i have seen if somebody has the tendency towards elevated blood pressure that they feel the spike for a day or two but then they can go through it if they want to and then it does settle down mm. so in terms of the salt i wouldn't be so worried it depends on whether you are in a space where you can actually deal with that kind of a strong emotional purge right 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 i'm kind of an all or nothing kind of girl <laughs> I go all in. <laughs> I'm like, this is, we're going to do this. And so I do that today. So you'll be, uh, you'll see me doing, trying all the weirdest and most challenging things today. But that's because I'm in a space where I can, uh, I can do that. I'm not running around to pay the bill for my rent. I'm not running around feeling unsafe. So you see, there's a very big difference between living in a situation where you sleep two hours a night and then mm. you have good sleep. You don't feel financially unsafe. You've got a safe roof over your head. Then it's a space that you can try anything and monitor and just try to learn from those experiences. It's even okay if you have some sort of a adverse physiological symptom happening from something that you try because you're still pretty safe. So I think it's very important mm. to look at, are you in that? And the thing is that when somebody is in a state of high stress and elevated cortisol, obviously they're putting on weight and that's the time they're also desperately trying to do everything because they're looking at their body changing and not feeling happy about that. But I always, so if I take somebody through a six-month process, I always begin with healing the body, healing the mind, and then stabilizing hormones, and then coming into more challenging cleanses and fasting. fasting and yeah. so I think it's important to go from that space of first bringing about balance and then going into deeper practices. And it's right. not that they're bad at all. What I'm saying is that you just have to see how do you do them. You don't want to do them if you're in this state of adrenal stress. I've definitely thought about doing cleanses and then I'll check in and my body's like, nope, not happening right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and that must be it. I just have, you know, my bucket's too full and they, my body knows that it'll push it over the edge. Yeah, it's important to always listen to the body and just stay in balance with that. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's because you, you wind up hurting yourself. You go through this cleanse yeah. or whatever, and then you wind yeah. up setting yourself back. When we are struggling to stay asleep, so that's called sleep maintenance, what can we do? 
So I think that uh, there are several things that impacted. One of the things that we talk about, of course, when we talk about sleep onset, we do speak about lights and how light and melatonin have this antagonistic relationship. So we make we take efforts to do that. Now, two things I've noticed is one that research has shown that these light sensing cells are everywhere. They're not just in the eyes. So wearing an eye patch alone doesn't do it. I found that people who have issues with sleep maintenance, they are very, very sensitive to light. So they need to actually look at the room. So I had my husband tape something over a little switchboard, which had one point of a sharp light. So that would actually wake me up. The moment I open my eyes for something, it would instantly, because I'm still in a situation where it, something triggers a wake up then it's tough to fall back asleep and there's lots of people who are like that so I think it's important to do a sleep cleanup of the room itself not just wear an eye patch because you've got these light sensing receptors all over the body even in the soles of your feet if you've got lights on in the room and you're just covering your eyes, it's probably not going to be as helpful to you. If you struggle with sleep, you're going to be sensing light from other parts of your body. So clean up the light in the room itself. The other aspect of sleep maintenance, Amy, is very, it links back to ancient tradition, which is the whole glymphatic system, which is suddenly coming to awareness in functional medicine. But this is the glymphatic system that Ayurveda spoke about so long ago that there's this whole detoxification pathway in the brain where when you're in deep sleep, the brain actually clears glymph, which is the metabolic waste of all the brain's work through the day. And what happens when somebody who has issues with glymphatic circulation is that in sleep, because the glymph is starting to clear out, they can wake up because that's the time they feel the most stuffy. So one of the signs that somebody has issues with glymphatic circulation is the tendency for a stuffy sinus, blocked nose in the morning, brain fog, tendency towards depression lymphatic congestion as well. So usually if someone is like that, they'll find that they wake up in the night because when glymph is detoxifying, it clogs up breathing and so you start mouth breathing and then you're woken up suddenly from your sleep because you're unable to breathe. So it's important to look at how can you help glymphatic circulation, which goes back a lot to do with omega-3 status and if you can do something which gets glimpse moving which is why in eastern tradition the concept of giving a head massage with oil have you heard of trataka where you stare at a candle flame without blinking your eyes profusely in a dark room and then your eyes start to water so Mm. you keep doing that for five to ten minutes and it starts to actually clear out the lymphatic system so when you stay up it starts to dip into sunset and you switch off your lights don't put on any lights keep a candle at eye level and just try not to blink stare into the flame and keep letting your eyes water as much as possible 
it improves your ability for lymphatic circulation therefore it's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night where you're breathing through your mouth because you're so stuffy in your nose so i think mm. light and lymphatic circulation are very important there and of course nutrients as i said lymph circulation has a lot to do with omega 3 status so really looking at whether you're getting ample amounts and the difference between omnivore vegan diets and i'm not by any means saying it can't be done i'm just saying that if you are then looking at whether you're getting algal sources or something to just keep the omega 3 status optimal so and because it, is it because it lowers inflammation is that why it helps with the uh, no omega 3 status because now omega 3 is used by the as you know the brain cells are there's 70% fats of which a large amount of that actually requires essential fatty acids like omega 3 so when there's omega 3 is low status then it actually prevents the brain from working optimally and one of the parts of the brain's working optimally is actually its lymphatic circulation or lymphatic detoxification which is why you will see that people who are every morning waking up with a stuffy nose and then they're not looking at these aspects they're doing things like opiate drops none of that actually helps them and then the moment you get their omega 3 status up and then all that changes and they're wow. quite amazed i have a vibe plate do you know what that is no yeah so it's just it helps to shake the lymph in the body and moves 300 times per second so nice. it, it confuses so it the body like a, but you can do you can use a rebounder which is like ah uh, yeah i use know, that as well a trampoline yeah. is the normal word yeah. <laughs> that people use yeah. but yeah you just yeah. jump and then that helps with your lymph yeah and also like the head massage oh gosh i love a head massage i used to have one of those sticks that had all the Uh, like almost like fingers that you could have and you just kind of rub your head mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, I'm going to go get yeah. one of those again. I don't know where yeah. mine went. <laughs> so anything else to help us maintain our sleep? I know uh, hormone levels like progesterone and estrogen. Yes, can... I was just going to tell you one more thing that I find plays a very big role in sleep maintenance is core body temperature. So mm. for women actually it's interesting that in the luteal phase which is the second part of the cycle that progesterone gets released or if it's optimal then it helps you to feel calmer and less anxious so it should help sleep but progesterone also raises core body temperature and if you want to fall asleep and stay asleep you need core body temperature to be low i think you and i discussed once about your chili pad oh yeah <laughs> uh, but of course if somebody doesn't have a chili pad i think one of the great ways to lower core body temperature is to soak in a cool water tub for half an hour so you'll actually come out of that and you'll find when you pee your pee will be very hot so it has found that it actually reduces core body temperature and you'll find sleep is much more deep you won't really wake up if you were to do that one evening before dinner you'll find that that night your sleep maintenance is much more optimal wow i prefer taking a hot bath and then using a chili pad <laughs> at 66 <laughs> degrees. Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, de- definitely. And ice baths. I mean, so you said a cool bath, but like our ice baths, yeah. do they help you get a deeper sleep? Yeah, of course. I'm just okay. saying a lot of people have the tendency to have a bath in very hot water, which actually yeah. in, in Eastern tradition, one of the first things that a yogi would tell you was that start bathing in cold water. It's much better for your body. So that's one. But I think that ice baths are great. But can you imagine somebody who's been bathing in hot water every day to go straight into an ice water bath? So it's just gentle transition. So first, just try a cool water. Even that is challenging for a lot of people because it's uncomfortable when you go sit in that bath of cool water. The Mm -hmm. first 10 to 15 minutes, you're actually feeling so uncomfortable. And then there's a balance in temperatures so you start feeling calmer and more relaxed I think step by step of course a nice bath is great but I don't think everybody could be open to doing that (laughs) and even taking a a 30 second cold shower you know like having a hot shower and then turning it cold right at the end exactly it's great for your thyroid and probably other things but it's tough yeah but I'll tell you, I was just saying to my partner that we're, we're going to go on our long road trip. And I was telling you about that. We're going to be going to the beach. And I said to her, I said, I just want to be in the ocean in a large body of water that is cool and, you know, like cool-ish. And I wonder if there's some sort of, because it was, you know, so calming to the body and that my body was really requiring that. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's- it was weird just to feel that, <laughs> be like, <laughs> I really want to be in a large body of water. You know, water has a lot to do with the second chakra. So Mm. usually the desire to be in water could just be that you want some sort of a balance to the second chakra. It could also happen when you do creative things. So if you find whatever is creative for yourself. But I think tendency to be in water is your body asking for some sort of balance with the second chakra. You had mentioned that there's a nutrition that you can actually have for sleep or to enhance sleep. So other than the omega-3s, like what do you think can help with sleep? As a general idea, it is blood sugar balance. So my mantra for a plate is always see that there's fat, fiber, protein and color. So you begin by building the plate with three different colored non-starchy vegetables, which takes care of the fiber and the color. Hold on a second. Um, So the color is because of the antioxidants. Is that correct? Yes. Phytonutrients are great for brain health. So when it comes to brain health, for me, the top things are omega-3 phytonutrients and not having bad fats. So that's the top three for brain health. Phytonutrients, I think, have... Uh, they offer so much to every system. So the moment, first of all, they bulk up your plate where you're going to eat less of something which is not really great for blood sugar balance. So if you've added those three different colored non-starchy vegetables, they're rich fiber. So they're going to also improve detoxification. Therefore, you're going to, we spoke about that whole link between detoxification and cortisol because it allows, if you have poor detoxification, you build up adrenaline and it doesn't allow you to actually calm down so three different colored non-starchy vegetables a quality protein and of course whatever if you're vegan omnivore something which you 
in india i would dissuade poultry because there's really no grass fed poultry but i guess you might have sources of that so in india it's usually stay with fish and stay with red meat because they are definitely red meat is definitely grass fed in india whereas poultry is all farmed quarter plate of a clean protein and then a thumb size of a good fat so which is a quarter avocado or uh, ghee olive oil nuts and seeds if you can tolerate them and then a very important to see that the dinner has good form of a carbohydrate the morning and afternoon it works great for the adrenal balance if you have more protein rich uh, meals but the dinner should have a little bit of a carbohydrate like a sweet potato or uh, if you are having some form of grains other than gluten because it allows cortisol stability through the night for sleep maintenance so for me it would be like breakfast and lunch keep it very protein rich and then dinner add a little bit of carbohydrate and build your plate in this manner Hmm. then you have blood sugar stability and so i can't even tolerate a little bit of starch in the night so i could still eat something which is a bit starchy during the day but if i have it at night even combined with fiber and fat and all of that i still up at midnight with blood sugar drops and cortisol spikes so i think hmm. if somebody is struggling with those issues seeing that they keep it a very fiber rich carbohydrate and not a starchy one so would you say that the keto diet for the daytime would be a good idea and then a little bit of carbs yeah, in the evening yeah something like yeah. that something yeah. like that Yes. Yeah, Ben Greenfield Keto, says paleo something like that in the morning and the afternoon and then bringing in that little bit of carbohydrate at night for sleep maintenance. Yeah, I've heard that the sugar helps with the brain detox as well for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. You have been an amazing wealth of information. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. Is there anything else that you would like to add? You know, I feel like we've covered a lot. I think so. Thanks okay. for having me. You're welcome. Well, can you tell everybody where they can find more about you? Yeah, so they can listen to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on all podcast apps where uh, we do it's interesting that every episode I switch between east and west. So because we are focusing on the intersection between this cutting edge science and ancient wisdom we keep crossing continents so there'll be one week uh, eastern ayurvedic doctor and then then he'll go to somebody in the west so i keep switching otherwise we have a sleep community on facebook which is sleep whisperer community and on instagram i'm at phytothrive_yogini or at my sleep whisperer and my website is www.phytothrive.com uh, the sleep site is still a little work in progress okay and we'll drop all those links at the bottom of the show notes thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing everything your personal history with your son that was 
incredible to hear about your journey with that and then all the things that you know about sleep and hopefully people are going to start getting better sleep. I know that I'm going to be trying some of these things and then I'm going to be telling Fenella what she can maybe do to help her sleep, even though she gets higher sleep quality numbers than I do. We both have the Aura app and (laughs) we compare at the end of the day or at the end of the night, I should say. Anyway, thank you so much for being here and I am so grateful for you and all your wisdom. Thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. All content provided by Amy Stark and her guests on the Ophelia Podcast website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, were created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist. 